we're in Matthew chapter 12, so open up your Bibles there from verse 38. Now, if this is your first time or you're um, just visiting, uh, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and we're going to be kind of finishing it at Easter and picking it up later on in the year again. Um, But yeah, we've called it Jesus the King Who Saves is our series title, and we're going to continue that uh, today. Next week, we'll be getting into the parables, and then we're into Easter. Would you believe it? Uh, So Matthew chapter 12 from verse 38, and we're going to read to verse 50 this morning. And uh, I will be reading from the ESV. Uh, It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible, but if you do have one, keep it open with you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, that's Jesus, teacher, We wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're being told this morning here that in your arrival and in your life, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Solomon. Wow. May we not miss that this morning. May we see your greatness and your glory and respond rightly. We would hate to stand before people one day who saw less of what we saw as we look at you today less of your signs, less of your power, and certainly didn't even see you at all. And yet they repented and believed. They will condemn us one day unless we respond rightly. May we not face that humiliation and eternal life apart from you one day, but work in us powerfully this morning by your Spirit to see your greatness and to respond to it rightly that we might not be standing condemned one day, but justified before not just the God of the universe, but our Heavenly Father. 
as new people, new creations, fit and ready for eternity. And we pray this in your mighty name and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, on 20 July 1944, Klaus von Stauffenberg, I hope I'm saying that right if you're German, um, Klaus von Stauffenberg was in a meeting with Adolf Hitler and many of his closest officials. Stauffenberg was part of the Nazi regime at the time, but he was also part of a group that was conspiring to kill Hitler. And with him, in his briefcase, was a bomb that would go off 10 minutes after it was activated. He activated before the meeting, uh, and, and by the time he sat down near Hitler, with the briefcase under the table about five feet away from Hitler, there was only six minutes left till the explosion was about to happen. The bomb went off, unlike some of their previous attempts where the bomb never went off. But ultimately, the mission was a failure because Hitler survived. In fact, Hitler didn't just survive. He barely had a scratch on him. It was bizarre because many others around him were badly injured and some even killed. And he was so close to the bomb. Now, you'll have to go read the book Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas that I'm reading at the moment to find out how it is that Hitler survived. I'm sure you've got that question in your mind now, but that's for another time. What struck me about this whole thing is that afterwards, Hitler gets onto national radio and he says, hey, everyone, I'm okay. And not just that, the reason why I survived was a sign that God is with me. This was God's sign of approval of what I'm doing, that I'm doing the right thing and that I should keep going. This supposed sign from God then fueled him more to continue doing the evil that the conspiracy group believed should be stopped. Now, this story shows us two things that I think that's relevant uh, as we look at our passage this morning. Firstly, it shows us that we are longing for and looking for a sign or signs from God. In Hitler's case, he was looking for a sign to assure him that what he was doing was the right thing. Uh, In other people's case, they might say something like, if only God can show me a sign that he exists, well, then I will believe. Or even we ourselves at times, you know, like in in those really dark moments when, when we seem to be at our lowest and things are difficult, we might ask God to answer a certain prayer just so that He can give us a sign that, that actually He still loves us. He still cares and, and He is in control and He can do things about it uh, even though it doesn't feel like that at the time. You know, we want to see signs from God. But secondly, the story also shows us how evil we are as human beings, doesn't it? I mean, uh, we, we can use events wrongly as signs from God and, and, and kind of misinterpret things. Even though Hitler is a kind of clear and extreme example of this, because maybe you're sitting here like, oh, well, that was Hitler. I'm not like Hitler. No, we all have the ability to do this, to do the same, to misread things, to read into things that they're signs from God when they're not. I know of a, of a couple um, that got pulled over by the police and they were given a speeding fine on their way home from a prayer meeting. Wow, they were very godly. Uh, And you know what? They took that as a sign that God wants them to move to another church. A church that's closer to home, less driving, you know. I don't think the problem is the distance. It's the right foot, the accelerator. 
But anyway, you see, they were looking for a sign. And maybe they were misusing that one and misunderstanding it. I don't know if there's anywhere in the Bible that says, hey, do you know how to pick a church? Well, if you go there and you speed, well, then it's not the right church. You see, people can misunderstand things. Now, today, as we look at our passage, we will see there's one particular sign that's been given to us by God to all. And we will be called to respond rightly to that sign. Not like the evil generation that we're a part of, but like a new generation, as part of a new generation. So let's get into it. The first thing that we want to see from this passage is that there's a sign for all generations. And we see this from verses 38 to 42. You see, at the start of our passage, the scribes and the Pharisees, they asked Jesus for a sign. Now remember, Jesus had just last week, and actually for most of Matthew, made these huge claims that centered on himself. Uh, And not only that, he's also made some claims that, that are radically different to the Old Testament. So in some sense, it's fair that these men ask Jesus for a sign, that he's from God and and that he can be trusted. You can't just take anything that anyone says uh, as truth and from God, so show us a sign, Jesus. But in another sense, it's not fair because Jesus has done so many signs already up to this point. He's just healed uh, a man that was demon-possessed and couldn't see uh, or hear or speak, I mean, Uh, as we saw last week. But Jesus' answer to their request is no. Not yet, at least. Look look at what he says in verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it. And then it's like he goes back on his word, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says, I'm not giving you a sign. Not now, at least. But later I will. You know, like just like Jonah disappeared under the water, uh, so I will disappear into the heart of the earth. That's the sign that I will give you. Not now, but later. Now, Jesus is obviously talking about his coming death, isn't he? When he will be crucified and he will bury it into the earth, and a rock would be put over him. But it's not only about his death, it's also about his resurrection. Notice the three days and three nights. In other words, he's not going to be dead forever. Just like Jonah kind of came out of the water that the people thought he died in, so Jesus is going to be raised to life again. So the sign of Jonah that Jesus is saying he's going to give to the scribes and the Pharisees, is his death and his burial and his resurrection three days later. Now, just on a little aside, if you're getting stuck on the three days and three nights idea because you're thinking, hey, 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 wait a minute, Jesus was only buried for two nights and barely two days, so is he just flat out lying to us? No, Jesus is not lying, and he's not making a mistake either. Uh, The Jewish people had a saying three days and three nights, uh, which simply meant any period within a 72-hour period that included three days. Does that make sense? So Jesus was uh, killed on the Friday. He died at 3 p.m. He was buried before sunset, so that's day one. 
He was then in the tomb that whole night and all of Saturday and all of the following night, and he rose on the Sunday. So his time in the tomb stretches over three days, uh, even though it wasn't a full three-day, 70-hour period, and, and it didn't include three nights either. But that was a the thing they said. It's like saying you're going away for the weekend. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean you're leaving on Friday morning? Or no, no, you can't leave because it's not weekend. You need to leave after midnight on Saturday. And are you coming back on Sunday morning or Sunday? It's the weekend, okay? It's a, it's a saying we use. But anyway, the point is very clear. The point is this, that the sign that is given to this evil and adulterous generation is the sign of Easter, essentially. The sign of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Now, this is not the only sign that Jesus will be doing that will point to his divinity and his identity as God's chosen king, but it is the only sign we need. It is the sign for all generations. If you have any doubt about Jesus being God, about God loving you and this world, or, or about Jesus being God's only servant to fulfill all of God's plans, well, look to the cross. Look uh, to the cross where Jesus died and look to the cave where Jesus was buried and rose again from. All your questions will be answered if you genuinely and humbly seek them and ask them with faith. And so, friends... Easter, we're going to be looking at the sign that Jesus has given for all generations. It's all that people need. Invite people along. Now, as you well know, and and Liam's already mentioned this, because we've said this many times, we're being challenged in this part of Matthew from chapter 10 onwards in how are we responding to Jesus. And next week, as I said, we'll be starting the parables, which is all about responding to Jesus, and it's no different today. The only difference is today is in a narrative form, uh, whereas the parables are slightly different. They're a whole different beast altogether, and we'll get to that. So how are we to respond to Jesus? Well, we find two answers for us in, uh, in how people responded in the past, which should be examples of how we are to respond now. Look at verse 41. Read it with me. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Did you see how we should respond to Jesus? Uh, In repentance and faith. And Jesus has been saying this right from the beginning, hasn't he? You see, after Jonah was vomited out by the fish onto the beach, um, he went and he preached a message of judgment to the people of Nineveh. He said, in 40 days, this city will be wiped out. And will you believe it? People simply listened. And they believed. And they repented. Look at what it says here in Jonah chapter 3. And the people of Nineveh believed God. It's, it's that simple. You listen to God, you believe Him. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And then the king made this uh, edict. He said, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You see, the people of Nineveh believed. They turned from their wicked ways and they hoped in God's mercy and his grace. And you know what? 
They never even saw Jonah in the belly of the whale or spat out. They didn't even see that. They never even saw that miracle from God. And yet they believed and they repented. Jesus says, hey, hey, you will see my sign, the sign of my death and my burial and resurrection. So it should be easier for you to believe. If they believed, what excuse have you got? Not only that, but Jesus is greater than Jonah. Think about it with me. Jonah ended up in the belly of the great fish because of his disobedience, whereas Jesus ended up in the tomb because of his obedience. You know, Jonah didn't listen to God when God sent him to Nineveh, and he said, no, I'm going the opposite direction. And so God ended up with him in the water and in the belly of this great fish. Jesus, on the other hand, did listen to God. And he was totally obedient from go to woe, unlike Jonah. And that's why he ended up on the cross and in the cave. Because it was part of God's plan. You see, Jesus, the obedient and eternal Son of God, died on the cross to to, to deal with our disobedience. People like you and me and Jonah that we too might experience God's grace and His mercy and forgiveness like the people of Nineveh did. You know, Jonah never died, don't you? Jonah never died. He, he, He was swallowed by the fish. He was alive while he was in the belly of the fish. And there's actually where he has this kind of salvation experience. He prays to God. He, he confesses his sin. He asks for forgiveness and asks for God's salvation. Uh, and on went the story. God answered that prayer. But Jesus is greater than Jonah in that he actually died. Jesus really died and he really rose to life again. Uh, for the people who looked at Jonah, it looked like he died in the water. Oh, off he goes, where is he? I don't know. Next minute he appears in Nineveh. It looked like he rose to life again. He didn't. But Jesus did. Jesus is greater than Jonah in that way. And it's never been done by anyone before. Rising from the dead. Jesus is also greater than Jonah because unlike Jonah, Jesus' preaching is not only for Nineveh, but it's for the whole world. Unlike Jonah's preaching, it wasn't just for a specific generation, but Jesus' preaching is for all generations. Golly, Jesus is far greater than Jonah, isn't he? And so the question is, have you responded rightly to him? Have you believed his teaching and his preaching, especially in light of his death and his burial and his resurrection, the sign that he has given to all generations? Have you turned to him for forgiveness and mercy and salvation? You don't want to stand before God one day and get condemned by a people who never saw a sign the way that we've seen in Jesus, who has never even seen Jesus, who had a much lesser preacher than Jesus and Jonah, and for them to say, hey, we believed. What's your excuse? Think of the the humiliation, not to mention the punish that will follow. Now, there's another example for us in how to respond to the sign of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's the Queen of the South. 
Now, I guess when you read it, you think, well, how do they fit into this picture, right? The, the Jonah dead and kind of then rising again, that makes sense. But how does she and Solomon fit into this story? Well, look with me at verse 42. That's where they mentioned, the queen of the south will also rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, when you go and read the story in 1 Kings 10, you see exactly why Jesus chose it. And it just reminds you again that, yes, Jesus was a greater preacher and teacher than Jonah. And so what, what, you, do, what, you, what you get when you go to 1 Kings 10 is you, you get the queen of the, the, the south. She hears about Solomon's, uh, Solomon's great wisdom, but she doesn't believe it. She, she thinks, no, 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 it can't be as good as they say. She doubts that he's as good as people say. So, so she was just like the scribes and the Pharisees uh, of our passage, and in fact, like most of the people that followed Jesus. Even those ones that looked at Jesus' miracles and said, could this be the son of David? Even they doubted that he could be, even though they were on the right track. So, so, so the queen of the south, she packs all of her stuff and she goes to Solomon. You know, this, this picture of coming from the ends of the earth, which just makes you go, Matthew 28, when Jesus sends us out to the ends of the earth. But anyway, that's another talk. Uh, she, she packs all her stuff, she goes to Solomon, and she thinks to herself, you know what, I'll go check this out for myself. I'll investigate this king that everyone raves about so much. And, and when she gets there, she peppers him with her questions. She shares everything that's on her mind. And Solomon answers all of her questions. You see, if you're doubting Jesus, then come to him. Make the effort and come to him. Just imagine all the effort it took her to go from the ends of the earth to go and see Solomon. Something greater than Solomon is here. Come and investigate Jesus and put him to the test. He'd love to hear what's on your mind. Pour your heart out to him. Test him. You'll be surprised what could happen. And do you know what what happened to the Queen of the South after her time with Solomon? Uh, Have a look here at 1 Kings 10 from verse 4 to 5. It's a great picture. So when the Queen of Sheba, that's another way they talk about her, uh, had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he'd built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, the cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. Seeing the wisdom of King Solomon left the Queen of the South breathless. It's great. It's a, such a powerful picture. He took her breath away. It's like one of those romantic movies where we're staring at each other. You know, he took her breath away. And you know what? If you look at the sign of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, if, if you see it for what it truly is, it should take your breath away. Have you ever looked at Jesus' death his burial and his resurrection, and you just found yourself speechless, breathless. If you haven't, then maybe you haven't seen it clearly. Well, how should, what does it look like to see it clearly, darling? Well, let's look at the example of the Queen of the South again to know when you're seeing Jesus clearly and how to respond to him. This is what she said. 
She said, Happy are your men, happy are your servants, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be Yahweh, your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Why did God do this? Because the Lord loved Israel forever, he made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. The right way to respond to Jesus' sign of his death and his resurrection is to see it as his coronation service. That's what Jesus is saying. It was through the Easter story that God was delighted to make Jesus king of the world. You know, he's greater than Solomon because he's not simply occupying the throne of Israel, but the throne of the universe. And we see God's love in this, not just for Israel, but for the world forever. You see, if you ever doubt God's love for you or this world, simply look at the sign of Jesus' death and resurrection. And do you see how the Queen of the South saw um, Solomon's rule as good? You know, like, happy are your men, happy are your servants. Those who rightly see the sign of Jesus, they say, happy are those who trust in you. Happy are those who obey you. Happy are those who get to experience your wisdom and do life with you, King Jesus. You see, those who see Jesus truly with him as their king, it's a good thing. In our world, a king or the idea of authority is bad. Not with King Jesus. People who see the sign for what it rightly is, says it's a good thing. It's not a burden to have Jesus as your king. It's a joy. So the second right response to Jesus is to let him rule over you as your king. It's to listen to his wisdom and letting it shape you and change you. It's to give all control over to him, trusting him that he'll do what's best for you in his infinite wisdom because he loves you. Now this second response, let's be honest, it's extremely hard for us human beings, isn't it? And Jesus knows this. He tells this really weird story now that shows us why it's so difficult. But to put it simply, and this is the second point, it's because we are part of this evil generation. By the way, if you're checking your watch, don't stress. Point two and three, much shorter. This evil generation, verses 43 to 45. In verses 43 to 45, Jesus tells a story of of an unclean spirit that's gone out of a person. The unclean spirit can't find a new home, and so it returns to where it used to live, inside this person. And when it comes back, whoa, this person has really cleaned themselves up, all right? They've sweat their heart. They've emptied all the bad and destructive things. Oh, they've put their life into order. Wow. They must have had one of those moments in life where they thought, you know what, I need to change. I need to just get better. And, and, and they seem to have done it. Look, it worked. But it didn't, says Jesus. Because the unclean spirit takes up residence in that person's heart again with another seven spirits that's more evil than the first one. Jesus says in the end, even though the person might mean well by trying to better themselves, 
they ended up worse off. Now listen carefully to what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that if you try and better yourself without him, you will be worse off. If you try and better yourselves, no matter how how good you try and be, no matter how good the intentions of your heart, you will be worse off if you do it without him. And I'll give you an example of that. Recently, there's been a lot of these stories of biological men who now identify as women, and they're playing women's sport. Now, there was a time when the feminist movement was trying to change life as it, ba- as it was back then. And I think, for the most part of it, I, I wasn't there back then, it was a good thing. It was a good and necessary thing to happen. But they've done it without Jesus at the core. And you know what? Now looking back, well, they're worse off for it. Look at these poor women. They finally have their own sports league, but they're competing against a bloke. Are they better off? Are they better off? Um, What I've heard also as well is the feminist of 30 or 40 years ago who started all of this is saying, hey, that's not what I was fighting for. And the modern-day feminists are saying, hey, you're not feminist enough. This guy wants to be a woman. Let him be a woman. Hey, join the team. Feels like we're winning. The blokes are now coming to us. They want to be like us. Wow, we've nailed it. So all of a sudden, you've got women fighting with each other. And they're still competing unfairly against men. This time, they look like women, though, so it must be better, right? Do you see how things end up worse when you try and better yourself without Jesus? And you might make a good change. You know, it's not just at a, at a kind of big movement level, but it's at an individual level. You might make a good change only to be filled with pride because, hey, look how good you're doing. Oh, wow, I must be better than that guy over there. You start looking down on people. You're full of arrogance. You're, you're judging people because they can't beat the thing that you beat. Do you see what happens? You're worse off than you were before if you do it by yourself. You know, sin is, is like those games, you know those games at the, at the gaming places and it just pops up their heads and you're like hammering them. Like bang, 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 bang. It's like you smash one down and seven others pop up. That's the nature of this evil generation. And I hope you can see that you and I are part of it. We're part of it. It's a human thing. By nature, we are part of this evil generation that rejects God and we want to fix things our own way, without him. We don't want to acknowledge Jesus as the king of our lives, as given to us by God, you know, the way that the queen of the south did uh, when she acknowledged Solomon. And we cannot bear to give control over to Jesus. We're too self-dependent. We're too wise in our own eyes. And I hope you see now, do you see why Jesus gives his death and his resurrection as the sign for all generations. It's because by its very nature, Jesus' death on the cross in your place demands that you uh, acknowledge that you have failed at sorting out your own life. And it demands that you give over your life fully to Jesus. So the sign of Jesus gets down to the very core of what's inherently wrong with us. What's wrong with this evil generation? 
Whereas if Jesus said, oh, here's a sign, it's always going to be about the sign. But actually the real problem is not that signs are not good enough. It's our evil hearts trying to fix things ourselves without him. And what we need is, is this spirit of this evil generation that in a sense is inside of us to be knocked out of us like Solomon knocked the breath out of the queen of the south. And, and that's what Jesus does. When we see the sign of his death and his resurrection truly for what it is, he knocks the spirit of self-dependence, of arrogance and self-control out of us. He humbles us and then he fills us with his spirit so that we're born into a new generation and we're no longer part of this evil generation. But thirdly and lastly, we're part of a new generation. Our story, it finishes quite strangely, doesn't it? It, it seems like, you know, Jesus is busy teaching on this big thing and then oh, his stupid family interrupts him. What are they doing here? And it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the story. Hey guys, we're now sidetracked. Everyone look at Jesus' family over there. But it fits very well. And it seems like God in his providence made it happen so that Jesus can drive home a point. And the important point that he's trying to drive home is that you don't have to remain as part of this earthly generation that you're born into. It's an evil generation that tries to better itself but just ends up worse. Instead, Jesus invites you to become part of a new generation through faith in him. You know how well, I've sat down with a guy in that foyer and he was, you know, he was, was one of the guys that came for food hampers, which we do here during the week. And, um, and, and I said to him, mate, like, why are you, why are you at where you're at? And he, he's telling me that he's addicted to drugs. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh gosh, like, you know, this guy's such an idiot. Just got himself in this place. I was very judgmental. He started crying. I said, look, I'll make you a coffee. I've got some Tim Tams. Let's sit down. And, and he was telling me the story. I said, how did, how did you get to this point? He said, I was 11 years old, maybe 12. I walked into a room one day. My grandma was there and my mum, and they were both doing drugs. And they said, hey, come have some of this. And he's been addicted since. And you think, how is he going to break that generational thing? Jesus says you can break it. You can. I can bring you into a new generation through my spirit. Have a look there at verses 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, Jesus wants you to join a new generation of people that has turned from their old ways to him for salvation. Like the Ninevites repented and believed. Jesus is also inviting you to come to him, to stop trying to fix yourself and to acknowledge him as your king so that he can rule and shape you for the better in all of his infinite wisdom. Will you acknowledge him as God's king given for you, like the queen of the south did with Solomon? You can be a brother 
and a sister of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, if you let God's Spirit fill you, take up residence in you and, and kind of get rid of the spirit of this evil generation, you can be a child of the living God. Are you part of this new generation that tran- transcends time uh, and it transcends age and wealth and gender? Make sure you are. Investigate Jesus if you have to and make up your mind to, to, to know him and to bring all your questions to him. Do everything in your power to join this new generation because the evil and the adulterous generation will stand condemned on judgment.